welcome to Gospel Couriers, episode four. I'm your host, Tyler. And today uh, we're going to be diving into the Trinity, talking about, you know, uh, what do, what does the word Trinity mean? And then looking at the Bible um, to be able to back up the fact that we as Christians believe that God is three in one. Before we get into that, I have a, a new guest with me here today. If you'd like to go ahead, introduce yourself and just uh, tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, sure. So I'm Daniel. I'm a friend of Tyler's. I'm currently a sophomore at East Tennessee State University. Um, and I'm involved with uh, a couple campus ministries, one of which is one that where I actually met Tyler called Campus Crusade. So um, I'm involved with that. I'm, you know, been a Christian for about three years now. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, what are you what are you majoring in, Daniel? So I am actually majoring in physics, mm-hmm. which might sound odd for me to be a physics major here talking about theology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you, just real quick, how do you feel like that kind of like lines up with uh, like being a Christian, like science and, and Christianity? How has that, has that been for you? Um, I, I mean, I've, I've gone back and forth with like, I, I, I've, at this point, I'm not really like opposed to like science or anything like that in terms of like, I don't think there's really anything to worry about in terms of science conflicting with Christianity. I think, like, I don't like materialism and things like that. I have problems with that, but not with science per se. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, as I said at the start, you know, we're going to be going to be jumping into the Trinity. And, uh, you know, the Trinity is a is a big topic. There's a lot of, like, words and definitions and things that people have tried to use to explain the Trinity. But, but, but before we get into this, we just want to yield to the fact that um, as humans, like, we cannot fully comprehend God. We cannot fully comprehend you know, what, what a three personal being is. Um, so yeah, we, we just want to, you know, get that clear, you know, we're not going to try to use really any analogies because a lot of them do fall short, um, and kind of, you know, fall into to heresy. So, so we don't want to fall into that. We're just going to do our best to, to explain it kind of on a, a little bit of a basic level, but, you know, give, give everyone a, a better understanding of what it is. And then going to look at, look at what scripture says about each person of the Trinity. Um, so uh, to start off with, Daniel, what, what exactly do we mean by the Trinity? So like the word Trinity itself really just means like tri-unity. It's, it's, it comes from the Greek word, I think it's trias or uh, something along those lines. And it's really used to describe the fact that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all divine. Like each of those persons are divine but they're not the same person. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. So, like, each of them are individually distinct, but they're all fully divine. But yet we also see in Scripture the same truth that there's only one God. So we we have this kind of apparent contradiction, and the way that, you know, we've thought about this and the way that Scripture reveals it is that essentially there's the one divine nature and three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, fully possess that nature. So they're entirely divine, but we have only one God because there's only one divine nature. Yeah, and so that's uh, that's one of the, the most kind of simplistic ways that, that we can put it is kind of like Daniel said, it's like it, it's one God in three persons. Each of the each person of the Trinity, uh, they're they are distinct, but they are all part of, you know, the the one God. Each of them are the same God. Um, they each have the same will that is carried out. And uh, we know from Scripture that each person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, they do uh, have have different roles. And so that's that's one of the biggest distinctions. Um, and so it, essentially what it is, is like we as humans, we're, I'm one being and one person. Daniel's one being and one person, but God is a 
one being but three persons and so that's that's you know not something that we can fully understand and you know throughout history you know ever since the you know early church history you know dating back to you know the to the first century you know people have tried to use different things to uh to explain that but um a, a lot of it falls short um and so i think that's that's something that we can kind of concede to the fact that we we cannot fully uh fully explain that um i think kind of you know one one way we can kind of uh explain it a little bit is the fact that the being you know we say god is one being is 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 the what this is the the what he is um and then the the who is each person of the trinity um and so is there anything you want to say on that daniel yeah i like i i find a lot of the time people uh we're very used to in our common like nomenclature we want to use being and person synonymously and because of that i Typically, when I'm discussing the Trinity with anyone, I don't use the word being to refer to the one God. I use either essence or divine nature because those terms, like we can sort of conceptualize what that is. But because we are so used to like a human being is one person, we we don't really like use that. You know, we, we wouldn't think like that if somebody if you're just like teaching someone who knows nothing about the faith you know, that the Trinity is one being and three persons, they're going to think that these two things are the same thing. But one way to think about this is like the being is like the whatness of something. And so it's the same as like the essence or the divine nature, because like my cell phone is not a person, but my cell phone has being. It exists. It has something that characterizes what it is. That's its being. But so in that sense, not everything that has being has person. And so being in person are kind of distinct in that sense. So it's, it's once you really investigate, like, well, what do these terms really mean, the way that we're using them, it, it can start to make a little bit more sense. But I generally try to avoid those words when, when talking to people. Yeah, yeah, I think it's good. And it, it's definitely good to, to make that distinction. And uh, I think another important thing to touch on is that, you know, each, each person of the Trinity has a you know, a, a personality, you know, each person of the Trinity is able to think, to feel, has emotion, you know, does things, but they're, they're all, you know, c- kind of like I said earlier, they all have the, the exact same will, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they, um, they all have you know, the exact same will, they just uh, carry out different roles, um, and we're, we're going to definitely get more into that as we look at each person of the Trinity um, as, a, as they have been uh, revealed in Scripture. Um, so that's just the, uh, the first thing that we uh, kind of wanted to, to hit on uh, a little bit is like what that means. And now we're going to um, talk, you know, I know Daniel mentioned it a little bit, but like what the what the word Trinity means. And like he said, it's, you know, triunity or, or three in oneness. And so kind of, you know, from the very start uh, of, you know, of, of Christianity, the beginning of the church. And I would say like even before then, it's, you know, those uh, even before the New Testament was around and Jesus came, I think that. Uh, you know, we hear, we've always understood that God is is more than um, more than just one; that He is a, uh, a a Trinity. And even though we we don't see that word in the Bible, we we still know that 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 represents God. Um, and that that doesn't mean that you know using that word to de- define God, even though it's not in the Bible, doesn't mean that it's not it's not biblical. Um, and so you know, we we're definitely going to get into that uh, more. But that that's essentially you know what the word means, and it was uh, coined uh, in the very. Uh, I think around the second century uh, by uh, one of the early church fathers, um, uh, he kind of coined it and it's, uh, it's stuck. Uh, yeah. So it's stuck ever since then. And so, um, 
And so, yeah, and, you know, in, in the Old Testament, it's a little bit more explicit about the about the Trinity, um, but we, we definitely do see it. But then obviously in the, um, it's more implicit in the Old Testament, and then it's definitely more uh, explicit in the New Testament. Um, Shay, do you have like any other, any other thoughts about that before we hop into this, Daniel? Yeah, one thing I'd like to say is like, if you if you you're talking about like the early church and like what they were believing well, like the first person to ever like in, in terms of like whose writings we have to use the term trinity was around 185 like that this is like 85 to 90 years after the death of the apostle john so like this is that well maybe the term wasn't used at the end of the first century this is the sort of the theology that's being brought in from the first century from the time of the apostles and the reason why we can be like confident and be like, okay, this isn't something that's like completely new is because one, the Holy Spirit leads the church into all truth. We're told, we're told that in, uh, in the book of John. And two, this is what's taught in scripture. And that's what we're about to get into now is just going through scripture from the old to the new Testament and showing that God is father, son, and Holy Spirit three persons who are all equally divine with one divine nature. So, yeah, if you want to go ahead and get into it. Yeah, let's do it. And so the the kind of the points that we're going to get into here is we're going to, first we're going to talk about how we know God is one. Then we're going to talk about how we know he is three. And then, uh, like we've been saying, we're going to get into uh, scripture. I mean, we've got scripture all throughout here, but uh, scripture to, that backs up uh, uh, the Father, the Son, uh, and the Holy Spirit. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, how do we how do we know God is one, Daniel? Do you wanna you wanna start us off with this one? Yeah. So I mean, really, like the most important verse that's gonna tell you about the oneness of God is Deuteronomy six, chapter four. This is what's called the Shema. And if you know anything about uh, modern like rabbinic Judaism or even I think Old Testament Judaism, this was something that a devout Jew is going to pray at least once a day, if not several times a day. So let's read it uh, if you want to turn with us. Deuteronomy 6 chapter uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. And in the English Standard Version it says, "Hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one." So here what, what if you look in like the Hebrew dictionary, like the the definition of this word one, it's like absolute unity. It's not like something that's composed of parts or anything like this, like it's absolutely one. It's not, you know, like a a cluster of things or anything like that. It's it's one. So we know from this that God is one. And a lot of people who don't believe the Trinity try to use this and see, oh, look, that's just saying God is one person. It's like, well, no, it doesn't clarify. It doesn't say that. It says God is one. And we believe God is one. And we're about to explain how that fits into God being three as well. So another verse, I, I think really the book of Isaiah is just absolutely fabulous when it comes to talking about the oneness of God. So if we look in verse uh, in chapter 43 and verse 10 of Isaiah, it says, now let me pull it up just real quick. Isaiah 43 and verse 10, it says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be after me. So like the Bible rules out very clearly polytheism. There's only one God, and that we can be absolutely sure of. Yeah, I, I think that's a, uh, a great point. Uh, you know, both of those verses there. I, I especially like Isaiah 43.10, you know, 
I'm just going to reread it again because it's so good. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. And I mean, if we just, we take it back, you know, uh, to, to Genesis 1, I mean, we see, see right at the beginning, you know, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, and so just, just right there, like we see that, you know, God, he, he is the creator. You know, there was no other, no other God or sort of any other being that was, was, that was with God that created it. Um, and I think, you know, also to, to get more into that is the Ten Commandments. And so, you know, we know that the, the, the first and the greatest commandment is that you shall have, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, that you shall have no other gods before me. Um, and so, you know, that doesn't mean that there are other gods and that you can have other gods because, I mean, literally right after that, right after Moses writes that, um, you know, Exodus 20 is uh, where uh, we first see the Ten Commandments. Um, verse three, you know, you shall have no other gods before me. And then right after that in verse four, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the sea. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. And so, I mean, right there we see that, you know, God says, you know, we should not have any other idols or any other things, um, you know, suggesting the fact that if there are any other supposed gods that they're all going to be made up that that's that is essentially you know what he's saying there um yeah. that there, there there is nothing else he he is the one um and only god there's no there's nothing before him nor whether it be any other sort of divine being that uh yeah that that comes out of that so yeah that, that's like kind of a major theme in especially like the book of isaiah and really the old testament in general is god just triumphing over these false idols and saying look they can do nothing and here I know history from beginning to end, and I've created all things, you know. So you have these, these gods that they make out of wood, you know, that are not true versus the eternal and living God who is invisible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, you know, we, you know, from the start of Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of Revelation, it's like, is Scripture is God revealing himself. And so God has, has perfectly revealed himself. You know, he hasn't you know, really left anything up to debate about, like, who he is or who his character is or, or what he defines as, as good. You know, he, he, he has perfectly laid that out. And so he wouldn't, you know, leave us guessing throughout Scripture whether, you know, he is one or three. It's like, you know, like like Daniel said, you know, uh, right there in, in Deuteronomy 6-4 and then Isaiah 43-10, that absolutely rules out polytheism. You know, we, we do not believe that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three different gods. They are one. Um and so, yeah, like, like Daniel said, uh, Isaiah is great. And then also, you know, there's some more verses uh, in Isaiah that, that point to, you know, where literally God says he, um, he is one. Um, Isaiah 45, 5 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Um, and so, you know, we see right there, he, I mean, that, that's, about, that's about as clear as it gets. He is saying, I and I alone am God. Um, there, there's no one else. There will be no one else. Um, so yeah, I think that's uh, you know that's kind of kind of like wraps up the whole you know about about God you know being one. Do you have like any other thoughts on that before we get into how we know God is three, Daniel? No, I think we should just go ahead and jump right into it. And yeah. If, if if I can, I'd like to we'll we'll start first in John one, and then we'll jump back to Genesis one because mm-hmm. these two things are going to kind of yep. be right hand in hand. So yeah. Let's, yeah. let's turn to John chapter 1 yeah. and verse 1. And real quick, I just one thing I want to say is like as we, as we get into looking at like how God is three and each person of the Trinity, all of this, all of this is going to kind of combine together, um, you know, as, as we look at uh, each person of the Trinity because it, it, it is all like interwoven together. So we're kind of 
yeah, it's just all it's all gonna match together. But we are gonna you know specifically talk about um, you know each person of the Trinity. So yeah, go yeah. ahead, Daniel. Yeah, one thing is to know that Scripture is going to interpret itself, so mm-hmm. yeah. we we can always cross reference. So let, so John one one, it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So I'll stop right there. And so the word here is in reference to Christ. And you can, you can read down through the context, and it talks about how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it, down in verse 18, it calls the word, or it calls Christ, God the only begotten. So we, we, when in verse 1, when it says the word was with God, this is in reference to the Father. Like in the New Testament, the Father is usually the one who we call with the title God. That's not to say the Son and Spirit aren't God or divine. It's just that's the, kind of like the Father's title. It's like his, you know, um, the Father is God, the Son is Lord, the Spirit is the one Holy Spirit. Um, so anyway, now, now that we've got that down, let's jump back to Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2. So both of these passages are talking about the beginning, like the absolute beginning. So Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So here we see all three persons of the Trinity. And you might be thinking, I only see two types of individuals. Well, you've got God. You have the Spirit of God who's hovering over the the face of the waters. And then you have God speaking. And God speaks his word. His word is his logos in Greek. It's literally like the expression of his inmost mind. And that's what Jesus Christ is, is he's the word of God. So here we have the Father, we have the word or the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit all in action at creation. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I think that's great. I mean, just literally, literally right there in those first three verses, like like Daniel said, is like we, we see the uh, the distinction of, of each of the three persons, you know, we see God and then that the spirit was hovering over. And I, I like what you said about, um, about the son. Uh, what, what exactly did you say about like him being, I know obviously like he is the word, but yeah, you used an exact, I don't, I can't so, remember the so exact. It, it goes back to, there's both the, uh, the Jewish idea of the word or mm-hmm. the memra, yeah. which is, Ara- it's an Aramaic word of, mm-hmm. of the Lord. And the memra or the word is almost like, Actually, you know, if you want to, if you want to know what the word is, if you want just like one verse that kind of describes it, turn to Hebrews chapter one. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going because you basically said yeah. like he, you, you said he was the exact something, and I was yeah. thinking of. Uh, so, so Hebrews chapter one and verse three, yep. speaking of Christ, it says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then it goes on, but so that's a sen- that's kind of like if you could ta- if you take one verse to say, well, what does it mean when it says Christ is the Word? Christ is the the logical foundation for all reality. He is what upholds everything, and he is the exact imprint of the nature of the Father, the exact image and the brightness of his glory. Um, if you it, that that that's a pretty good, in my opinion, summary of what it means that Christ is the Word. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and Daniel quite literally uh, took the words out of my mouth. He read my mind and, and went straight through Hebrews. Yeah, that's exactly, uh, I still can't remember the exact phrase that he used. But yeah, like right there, we see like Jesus is the exact 
imprint of of the nature of the Father, and that that's exactly you know what Hebrews is all about—the fact that you know Jesus is God. Um, and so, just uh, lo- looking at some, some other verses, you know, throughout the Old Testament that we see that you know, uh, you know, God is three. Um, I mean, still, you know, in in Genesis, you know, the first chapter, uh, one twenty six, it says, "Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness.'" Yeah, um, and, and so it, it, if I could just for a second yeah, just comment on there. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people will try to like figure out like, well, how is man in the image of the Trinity? You know, God is the Trinity. Well, what does that mean? Um, I think it's important here to note that man is not necessarily in the image of the Trinity, but in the image of the divine nature, yeah. because that's what God is. God is the divine nature, you know, because what possesses the divine nature is what's worthy of worship. And what's worthy of worship is God. You know, only God possesses the divine nature, and whatever has the divine nature is God. So we as man, our image, the, the, the you know, pre-fall, uncorrupted human nature is in the image of the nature of, of God. And so that's yeah. just a little brief comment yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. helps you to, that, that, that sort of mindset helps you to, not get strayed down into too many rabbit holes. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, essentially, kind of like, you know, what Daniel says, what that means is, you know, when, you know, uh, when we, we were made in the likeness and the image of God, that just means that, you know, we know that God, he, uh, all, all throughout scripture, obviously, we know that God can think, obviously, you know, he created everything. So, of course, he can think. And I mean, we see throughout scripture that he, that he has emotion, that he can talk. And, and that's what it means. It's like we can, we can also do, um, we can think, we can talk, we, we have a personality, we can do, uh, do some of the things that God can do. So that's what it means. Um, but yeah, you know, back, back to the main point of like, you know, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And so, you know, the use of the word our, you know, make, means that it's referring to at least, at least two or more. Um, so, you know, we have, you know, God right there in the beginning, he, you know, he's stating that he's more than one. And just as Daniel pointed out one, one, obviously, uh, not Daniel one, one, but in Genesis one, one, uh, to, to verse three, you know, you need you need to do a little bit of uh, textual textual scholarship, you know, to to understand that right there. But um, yeah, an interesting aside that's like it, it's not exactly like you know full proof of anything, but I believe it was in the first century BC, so about a hundred years before Christ. There was a rabbinic translation of Genesis one that says, "In the beginning, by the firstborn, God created the heavens and the earth," mm-hmm. and so that would be an even clearer statement of all three persons of the Trinity. You have the Father, the firstborn, or Christ, and then you have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, you know, we, I mean, I mean, it's very clear. I mean, just in Genesis, uh, Genesis 1 alone, that, you know, God, God is more than one. You know, he's, you know, referring to himself in the plural here. Um, uh, and, and, you know, there there will be some people that have, have tried to say throughout history that, you know, the, the let us or our in Genesis 1 are plurals of a majesty, you know, uh, a form of speech that a king would use. But there there aren't any examples of a monarch using plural verbs or pronouns in the Old Testament in the Hebrew language. And um, I actually I got that from a, a book called Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. Um, I, I just I thought that was uh, just a, a, re- a really good you know break breakdown and, and understanding, um, and just just a couple more uh, passages in Genesis that talk about um, the fact that we know that God is is um, a plural a plural God. Um, Genesis three twenty two. Uh, so you know Genesis three is the start of the fall. That's when um, uh, the fall happens. Um, it says, "Behold, the man has come like." 
has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Um, so, you know, God is saying like us. So obviously there again, we see um, it referring to, you know, he's, he's more than one. And then uh, Genesis 11 is the, the story of the Tower of Babel. Um, you know, the, all, all the people of the world are trying to build a tower up to heaven to be like God. Um, and God says, let us go down, let us go down. And we know that, you know, their language is scrambled and then the people are spread throughout the earth. So just right there within the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we see that God is, you know, he, he has clearly revealed himself to be uh, a plural God. Um, and so that's just kind of a, a short little breakdown of like, you know, the fact that we know that, that God is three. And um, yeah, if you've got uh, any other thoughts about yeah, that. So um, not, not exactly in the book of Genesis. I'd like to um, actually jump over back to Isaiah because yeah, Isaiah is another, it, it's really the uh, kind of the, the cream of the crop when it comes to, you know, Old Testament talking about like plurality within God. Mm-hmm. One thing you'll notice though, before I get into Isaiah, is that in many places in Genesis, Exodus, things like that, you find places where the Lord, or Yahweh, which is the name of God, is speaking to Yahweh. So, for instance, in Genesis 19.24, it says, The Lord rained fire and brimstone down from heaven, or, or from heaven from the Lord. So it's like, well, what's going on here? God is raining fire down from God. That doesn't make sense if God is just one person. Then you've got... Um, Places like, uh, I believe it's Exodus 24, verse 1, it's speaking, and after, uh, like, if you read the context of chapter 23, it's the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, and I believe Nahab and Abihu, who were Aaron's sons, he says, come up to the mountain to see the Lord, to meet the Lord. So the Lord is calling them to come up to meet the Lord, and he refers to himself or to the Lord in third person. So there, there's a lot of like kind of hints about stuff like that. But um, getting into Isaiah, let's go to chapter 48 and verse 16. So in the context of what's going on here, we have God is speaking here, Yahweh, the Lord is speaking. So let's, uh, let's start in verse uh, 15. He says, I, even I, have spoken and called him, speaking of Babylon. I have brought him and he will prosper in his way. Draw near to me, hear this, from the beginning I have not spoken in secret, and from the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. So here you have God who says that God has sent him along with the spirit of God. And this is a very strange little thing. Like You're like, okay, this doesn't seem to make very much sense. Uh, another another passage, which before I get into the next passage in Isaiah, jump back to uh, Exodus chapter 31 and verse 1, or actually in verse 3. And this is talking about uh, a man named Bezalel, the son of Uri. And he said, and this is God speaking, the Lord. He says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. So now, the language here is what is what leads me to bring this up. Because he says he's filled him with the Spirit of God. Now, this doesn't exactly make sense unless he's speaking of a different person. You know, he says, I I myself, it's like, I'll say I'm speaking in place of Yahweh. Yahweh says, I have filled this man. He doesn't say with my spirit. He says with the Spirit of God. It's very strange language unless there's some sort of a plurality going on. So playing back off of that, 
let's turn uh, back to Isaiah and into chapter 63 and starting around verse 7. So it says, this is actually kind of a narrative and uh, commentary on what happened with the Exodus. And in the Exodus, if you don't know, it was God, Yahweh, who saved Israel. And let's listen to what Isaiah says about it. He says, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them, according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their Savior. In all their afflictions he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old, of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious right arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths like a horse in the desert they did not stumble? Like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. So here we have three characters that are seemingly divine mentioned. We have the Lord, and then we have the angel of his presence. Now, we don't exactly have time to get into this now, but the angel of his presence all throughout the, book, all throughout the Old Testament is also called the angel of the Lord. And it's not an angel, because the word angel does not always mean like a heavenly angel, like somebody you think of like with wings and a harp and everything. The word angel just means messenger. The word in Hebrew is malachi. And like, so the prophet Malachi, or no, it's not malachi, it's, it's malach. So the prophet Malachi, his name literally means my messenger. So when you see the angel of the Lord or the angel of his presence, this is actually a divine person who is called God, who is called Yahweh, all these other things. So this is what many theologians identify as the pre-incarnate Christ. And I would agree with this, and I could go through this. We'd have to devote a whole episode to, yeah, yeah. to the angel of the Lord, so we're not going to get into it anymore. Um, but you have the Father, or you have Yahweh, the Lord. You have the angel of his presence, and then you have his Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of God. Now, we want to get more into the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So this is the last verse that I'm going to really harp on in the Old Testament. So let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 23. And starting in verse 2. Now, these are the last words of David. So he says, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When, rule, when one rules justly over man, ruling in the fear of God. And he goes on. So what, da- what is David saying here? This is something that we want to really think about. David is saying that the Spirit of the Lord spoke by him and that his words were on his tongue. Whose words? The Spirit of the Lord. So clearly, the Spirit of the Lord, if he has words and he's talking, he's a person. And then he goes on in the next verse, and he says, The God of Israel has spoken. So this same person who he's calling the Spirit of the Lord is also the God of Israel. 
that's what he's saying. Like, th- there's this form of poetry in uh, in he in Hebrew that's called Hebrew parallelism, where they'll kind of say one thing, and then they'll repeat it in another way the next verse down. So they might say, you know, uh, they're not always saying the exact same thing, but kind of like the main idea is represented. This is one of those cases where it's like he's saying pretty much the exact same thing. So he goes from the Spirit of the Lord speaking to the God of Israel speaking. And that's a very interesting thing. It's like, okay, so whoever this Spirit of the Lord is, he's the God of Israel. So um, one last verse, and this one's kind of a little speculative. I know I said that the last verse in the Old Testament was, was that one, but I thought of this one as I was reading that. So Psalm 33 and verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. So we talked earlier about John 1.1 and about the word of the Lord. So we know that the word of the Lord is a divine person. He's, he is fully God. This, the breath of his mouth, what is this referring to? So in Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach, and it means the same thing as breath a breath from God, or the breath of God. So here we have this verse is saying that God, through the word that he has spoken and through the spirit that he has breathed out, created all things. I think that's, it's not exactly like the most, you know, it's kind of a poetic type thing, but it's just an interesting little tidbit to kind of keep in mind. So with that, we can kind of move into specifics about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think uh, I think that all, uh, all of that was great. And I mean, you you really kind of kind of touched on on the spirit, and I think we can. Uh, I mean, like I said earlier, you know, all of this will will kind of mesh together. Um, but yeah, I oh, mean, yeah. I think uh, all yeah, all of that that was uh, that was really good. And so uh, yeah, um, as we yeah, let's just go ahead and uh, get into the father. Um, as we look at it here, um, so there there was kind of uh, some verses that Daniel uh, already mentioned that I would uh, that I was thinking about. But uh, as we get into the Father here, we're also going to see um, we're going to kind of kill two birds with one stone because it's going to be talking about the the Son as well. Um, and so typically um, we see the distinction of the Father and the Son specifically more uh, in the in the New Testament. Like I said, it's a little bit more implicit in the Old Testament, explicit in the uh, in the New Testament. Um, and so we know that, you know, typically in the Old Testament, you know, whenever we see God, that we, we know that's the Father, um, that, you know, the, the Father is the first person of the Trinity, but all, all persons are equal. Um, and so you, you kind of already mentioned, um, you know, in Isaiah, you know, 63, 16, he is called, um, he's called our Father twice. And then also uh, in 64, 8 once. Um, and then all, all throughout the New Testament, you know, we see uh, that Jesus, um, you know, uh, he, he he refers to to God as his father, you know he um, you know he says, uh, you know I I'm doing the will of my father, uh, I'm doing the will of him who sent me, you know uh, we see that he prayed and that he was com- uh, in communion uh, um, with the father, you know I'm gonna turn to you know uh, Daniel's been talking a lot about John, I'm gonna I'm gonna also turn to John and I'm gonna turn to John chapter five, I'm gonna look at uh, verses 19 through 29. Um, you know where we see uh, Jesus, and that's that's where uh, a lot of uh, a lot of scripture that we're going to read. We have a lot of scripture on here. We're not going to get into all of it or take too long, um, but just some some important scripture to uh, to note. So uh, starting in uh, John five verse nineteen, um, we see so so Jesus said to them, "Truly I say to you, 
the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father do. And for whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these uh, will he show him, so that you may marvel. First, the father raises the, raises the dead and gives them life. So also the son gives life to, to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given judgment to the son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Uh, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So, I mean, as we see right here, um, and so we know that uh, you know, in your Bible you'll see like little uh, uh, like, like headers for uh, as each of the passages are broken uh, broken up in each chapter, and so this says the authority of the Son. And as we see all throughout throughout this, um, Jesus Jesus is claiming to be one with the Father. Um, he explicitly, you know, says that uh, the Father and I are one. I don't exactly remember. That's uh, uh, John ten thirty. Yeah, John John ten thirty. He or says ten twenty eight, something along those yeah. lines. Uh, you know, he says, "I and the Father are one." Yeah, exactly. And so we, we you know, we see all through through it right here that. Um, you know, he's, he, he is claiming that, you know, him and the father are one, you know, he says, you know, he, he makes the distinction that, um, you know, this, I, as the son, I, Jesus, you know, cannot do anything of my own, own accord. And we know that, you know, when the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ stepped down into flesh, that he willingly, uh, he's willingly submitting himself, you know, to yeah. the father. Um, it actually says if, if I don't mean to like interrupt, no, go for it. Um, in Hebrews, I can't remember the exact verse off the top of my head, but it says that in becoming a man, Christ learned obedience. Yeah, yeah, that's now, actually in now, chapter five. Now that's a very interesting verse because it's like, well, did he not obey his father before he became incarnate? And it's like, well, here's what you got to understand: is that the Trinity, before Christ takes on flesh, they're one in their will. So there's no sort of like hierarchy of submission of this one person is submitting to the other because they're all one in will and it's all one divine will that has a certain economy of how you know it's accomplished what the divine will what the desires are it's accomplished you know the father sends the son is sent and the spirit is sent as well by both the father and the son but christ before his incarnation was equal with authority to the father and that's basically what he's saying in John chapter 5. He's also saying, you know, by saying that all men must honor the Son even as they honor the Father, he's he's claiming their equality with God. He's saying that you need to worship me on the same level as you do the Father. That's absolute equality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, uh, that's, you know, that's that's the main thing that I was trying to get at. And so uh, as Daniel mentioned um, in Hebrews, yeah, it's Hebrews chapter 5, uh, Verses uh, 7 through 10, I'll just read it real quick. It says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience uh, through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So, yeah, you know, as Daniel said, it doesn't, you know, mean that he, um, that, 
you know, he being God, you know, was, was disobedient to the father. But, you know, when he, when Jesus stepped down into flesh, he, he put, uh, certain limiters or, or certain veiling on, on some of his divine attributes. You know, we know that Jesus was fully God and fully man, but, you know, he did, uh, he, he did did limit himself a little bit, and I know yeah. I know that wording can can be a little bit tricky, but that is that is, that is what most people would understand. That yeah, he, well, um, and when you say you li- he limited himself, it's kind of you you have to like be subtle with that because exactly. I know a lot of people when they talk about he limited himself, they say like he gave up his divine attributes, but and, he didn't at and all. And that that's not biblical that he gave them up. It's that he assumed the full human nature while being fully God, and one thing that he did is he veiled himself with humility. Exactly, And yeah. so he didn't use his all-powerfulness, his his uh, omnipotency or whatever you want to call it, in order to accomplish what he could have. Because he certainly could have if he wanted to. He relied upon his father. He trusted in his father. He was fully human. You know, that being said, he was still all-knowing. He knew the hearts of men already. Before they would think their thoughts, he knew them. Um he was he was all powerful, but he did not rely on his power, you know. So those are th- those are things to keep in mind. It's kind of a complicated discussion once you get into like, well, what are the divine attributes, and did Christ really give them up? And that's yeah. a, that's a different story mm-hmm. for, for now. Yeah, I, I think quickly the the best way that 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 can be explained. Um, if you guys remember, I had Brady on uh, episode one. You know, he mentioned that he has two kids, uh, Barrett and Laney. Barrett is three, so you know he can uh, he can run around. Um, and so essentially, if Brady and Barrett were to race, and Brady went all out, he would he would obviously beat Barrett. But you know, if you know he he wants to be nice, Brady wants to be nice and let Barrett win. Brady can limit his speed and let Barrett beat him. So that so I think that's probably the best yeah, way we can uh, explain. Another another really great analogy that I heard is imagine you have um, a world class MMA fighter. Like this is the kind of guy like he is he himself is a registered weapon. Yeah. <laughs> so he is gonna be dangerous regardless of whether or not he is carrying a weapon or whether he's fighting someone. And he can walk through a dangerous street and still be dangerous and he can choose not to fight people if he gets mugged. That's up to him. He's the one who's choosing whether or not to fight people and that's his will. But that doesn't make him any less powerful and dangerous. Yeah, I was just gonna say, you know, you know, as we were looking at in John 5, you know, 19, 19 through 29, as we were talking about, you know, Jesus is, he, he's exactly, you know, making himself equal with the Father. But, you know, we also, like I said, you know, we, we see that distinction. He says he, he, he's doing the Father's will. He has um, submitted himself. And, you know, Je- Jesus did this so, you know, he could give us the perfect example of how we should live our life as Christian. And obviously we know that he had to come down and live the perfect life so that we could all have salvation. Um, but, but I think, you know, some of the, some of the big things here is, um, you know, he says the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And so, you know, we, we are called to be Christ-like, but we don't do it perfectly. But I think essentially what he's saying right there is that the son is able to do that. And it says the father raises the dead, but also the son has, is given life to raise the dead. You know, uh, only for the father judges no one, but he's given that judgment to the son. You know, he's, you know, given Jesus the authority uh, to judge all yeah. people. Um, 
you know, it says, so that all may honor the Son. And so we know that only God himself is worthy of any honor and glory and worship. And, I mean, right here, you know, it's saying that they should honor the Son. And, I mean, back to Hebrews, I mean, this is, I mean, when we're talking about Jesus, it's like we can't help but not. can't skip out on the book of Hebrews. Exactly. And so it's so cool because I'm actually studying through Hebrews right now. So it's like everything Daniel says, I'm like, yep, that's Hebrews. Um, You know, but in in a lot of these... uh, these uh, verses that I'm going to read here is actually taken from the Psalms. The Hebrew writer, um, you know, put put some of the Psalms in here. And so um, Hebrews 1 verse 6, um, you know, he's, he's talking about Jesus here. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. So it's like, it's like right there, you know, we see that, um, you know, he's saying to God that people should worship the son. Yeah. And so exactly. if only, if only God is worthy of worship, then it, I mean, right there, Jesus is God. And so, um, you know, as, as we see here, you know, uh, Jesus, Jesus is claiming authority. Um, and I think uh, an, another great verse, uh, again, in John, John fourteen six, um, he oh, says, yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, no one, uh, no one come to the father. Um, ex- I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And so again, you know, like Daniel has said, is he, he is claiming to be on the same level, to have the same level of authority and divinity. If you want to get to the father, you have to, uh, you have to accept me. Um, exactly. And even in John, uh, I believe it's chapter 10 is where the parable of the, the good shepherd is. Um, Christ says, I am the good shepherd. And, What's interesting about this is we all, like in, in our culture, everyone knows Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see, in the Old Testament, Yahweh, or God, always has this sort of, you know, ideal about him as he is the shepherd of Israel. And here Christ is coming and saying, I am the good shepherd, and all those who have came before me are hirelings, thieves, and robbers. So he is the true and good shepherd. That means that he is God. Now, this is just kind of like so, some little like implicit arguments, but we're about, what we're about to get into in just a few minutes is the explicit statements of Scripture where Christ is unequivocally and undoubtedly called God. And so unless you've got something else to add, Tyler, right yeah. now, we can go ahead and get into that. Yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of uh, have already heard, have already touched on that a little bit, but I just wanted to, to point out some verses about, you know, Jesus saying, you know, it was the, the Father who sent, um, just to, again, to, to show that distinction. So John 3.34, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. So, I mean, right there, again, I mean, in one verse, we see all, dis- all three distinctions of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and then in John 4.34, um, let's see here. John 4.34 says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You know, so we know that um, that the Father has sent the Son, and so the Son was, was sent to do, to, to do the to do the redeeming work uh, of saving us. So, you know, we see, you know, the, the will of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working, working in perfect accordance from the, from the start of time. You know, God, the Father, he, he made the covenant with Abraham. And so, you know, that he would he bless him and make him a, a great nation, uh, that it would be multiplied. And then all, all the way throughout, um, I think, I believe it's in Isaiah where most of the, uh, the old prophets, Old Testament prophecies about Jesus and who this coming Messiah would be, um, and then, you know, we, we see that revealed in Jesus and all throughout, throughout the, the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
is Jesus doing these things and, and fulfilling these prophecies. And so um, the Father instituted this great plan, and the Son, you know, came to be the one to uh, to, to carry out the salvation. And then, um, and then we'll we'll get to to the uh, to the Spirit here in a minute of when Jesus says that He's going to send the Spirit, who will be a helper. But uh, if you want to, uh, yeah, just a, just a few more verses that I'll get into um, before we get into the Spirit. Just want to talk about like these verses that just absolutely put the nail in the coffin for the divinity of Christ. So we we read John uh, one and the verses therein just a few like what was it, about twenty minutes ago. So let's turn now to Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. So it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, what happens right after this is Mark begins to speak about John the Baptist and his coming ministry preparing the way for Christ. And John the Baptist actually applies this scripture to himself in other ways. So now this is a reference to Isaiah, and I don't recall recall the exact verse in Isaiah, but it's saying, prepare a way in the desert for the Lord, make a highway for our God. And Mark here is applying this at the very outset of his gospel to Christ. And he, what he's essentially saying here is that Jesus Christ is our God. And that, that's, that's the last like, implicit thing that I'll show you in terms of like that's not an explicit Jesus Christ is God. So let's turn to, um, uh, let me see, the book of Romans chapter 9 and verse 5. So we'll, st- we'll start in verse 4 actually. It says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So here, Paul, the apostle of Christ, who was taught by Christ himself, who saw him face to face on the road to Damascus, and other times as well, Paul is here saying, that Jesus Christ is God over all and eternally blessed. So what does God over all mean? It means God Almighty. He is the, the Most High. You know, he's also the Son of the Most High, but he's equal with the Father. And so he's, he's saying here, Jesus Christ is God. Now, um, let's go to Peter, who's also considered one of the greatest of the apostles. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 1 it says, Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here, Peter is calling Christ our God and Savior. Both of those words apply to him. And this is a very, like, it's a profound statement because Christ is our Savior, but he's also our God. That echoes what, what Thomas, the apostle, says in John 20, 28, when he sees Christ face to face after the resurrection, after he had doubted, and he feels his wounds for himself, he says, my Lord and my God, speaking to Christ. And the literal Greek there, if you're like to translate it very literally, it says the God of me and the Lord of me. So he's, he's calling Jesus his God and Lord. Um, and the last of these verses that we'll go to is in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 20. And we'll read verse 21 as well. 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about the the grammar in Greek of this and, and why this is such a profound statement. So starting in verse 20, it says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So who is the true God and eternal life mentioned here? Well, it's Christ. Because if you break down the grammar, this he here, it refers back to the nearest subject, and that would be to Christ. Also, if you look at in the gospel, in the letter of 1 John, specifically at the very beginning, he calls Christ by the title eternal life. Christ is the only person in scripture who's ever called by that title. Now, what's being said here of whoever is uh, the true God is also eternal life. The, the structure of the grammar makes it to where both of those phrases apply to the same subject. So if you can find out what one of them is without a doubt applying to, then you know what both of them are. So we know without a, sh- without a shadow of a doubt that the eternal life here is referring to Christ. So that means that Christ is being here called the true God, which is an absolutely profound statement. And it says immediately after that to keep ourselves from idols. And that's something that John is, is warning the church about. Anyone who's coming to you and telling you that Jesus Christ is not the true God is a liar and a deceiver, and you should beware of them and have no fellowship with them. That's what that's John's point here. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. That that's uh, we won't get into the stuff in Revelation because yeah, that. Yeah, the, I'll just tell you if we got into everything that that we could get into with this stuff, we'd be here for three hours. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, maybe prob- more. Yeah, probably even longer. And so, I mean, just every everything that we stated right there. I mean, that's just kind of touches the surface about you know, the fact that, that Jesus is God. I mean, it is, it is very, very explicit. You know, Jesus himself claims to be, to be God. You know, he says that I have the authority. No one can come to the Father except through me. The Hebrew writer says he is the exact imprint of his nature. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's some verses, like I said earlier, that the Hebrew writer takes from Psalms that he, you know, says of the Son. Um, I'll, ju- I'll just read a couple of them real quick. You know, of the Son, this is Hebrews 1. Um, and this is uh, referencing um, uh, Psalm 45 right here. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is for forever and ever. Um, and then down to verse 10, referencing Psalm 102, you, Lord, have laid the foundation of the earth. Um, they will perish, but you, are, you will remain. You are the same. Your, ears, your years have no end. Um, so, I mean, it, it is very, very explicit. And, I mean, it, it kind of feels like we haven't even really talked that much about it. But, I mean, we're, like, almost 55 oh, yeah. minutes in. We, but it's we, like, we've scratched the surface. Yeah, and, there, and this is why I love this topic so much, because not only is it, like, it's absolutely profound and mysterious, but it's beautiful, and it's at the heart of Scripture. And yeah. it's, yeah, exactly. And it's just, it is it is so, so vast. And, I mean, the thing is, it's, it's like, usually when people get into to talking about Jesus, it's like it's always pointing to to Paul's letters, but we haven't even touched Paul's letters. Oh, I mean, hardly. We, we've quoted um, him, what, once? <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, but, you know, I mean, there's also so much uh, in Paul's letters. I mean, Ephesians 2. So, I mean, it is, it is, it is, it's, it's pretty clear. And oh, I feel yeah. like we, we have touched pretty well on the fact that, that Jesus is God. You know, we, we see it, you know, claimed by Paul, by the Hebrew writer. Uh, we see it claimed by, by Jesus himself. Um, I know we referenced a lot in John, um, but, you know, also, you know, we see it uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know, we see Jesus, you know, telling, you know, if you, uh, if you want to follow me, you know, you must pick up your cross. Uh, you must die to yourself. Um, 
yeah, you know, there's there, there's there's a lot that we can get into it. Um, and I guess now we can uh, quickly to wrap this up is we, we can touch a little bit uh, a little bit on the spirit here. I know we we kind of like already already touched on it, but um, but essentially, you know, you know, we see in Genesis. Uh, at the very start that, you know, the spirit of the Lord hovered over the water. So we have that that distinction of the spirit there. Um, and then also uh, in First Samuel 10 is like, um, at least for me, you know, what I what I remember about, um, you know, when we see the spirit actually coming upon people. Um, and, you know, the spirit, um, the Holy Spirit has a little bit of a, of a different role in the in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Um, the in the Old Testament, the, the spirit didn't stay upon people. Um, and so, yeah, we see that with uh, with Saul and with David um, in First Samuel. Uh, in First Samuel ten, chapter First Samuel ten, verse six, um, it says, "Then the spirit of the Lord." This is Samuel speaking to Saul. He says, "Then the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you prophesy with him and be turned." Um, and so, yeah, you know, we see that the the spirit he he filled he filled Saul up uh, to to do a certain purpose. Um, and that you know, as, as Saul went on in his kingship, you know, he was not faithful to the Lord. Um, he, he didn't listen, listen to him. Uh, and yeah, he was, he was very, very evil and that, you know, later on it leaves him, um, uh, in chapter 16, uh, verse 14, we see that the spirit leaves him. Um, but then, you know, right before that, we saw that the spirit rushed upon David. We know that David is, is one of the most faithful men. Um, and so the, the spirit typically would, would fill people in the old Testament, um, to, to, to serve a certain purpose or goal, and then it would leave them, um, and so uh, getting into it in the New Testament, um, we know that uh, Jesus specifically says a lot. Again, <laughs> so much coming from John. I mean, it's uh, John 14, 15, and 16 here. You know, we, we know that Jesus tells his disciples that, uh, you know, he says, it's, it's better that I, that I go and not remain here. I'm going to give, uh, give you a helper. And so I'm going to turn to John, John 14 here. We're going to go to John 14, verses 15 and 17. Yeah, and, and one thing to keep in mind when we're talking about the Spirit is because a lot of people don't really, they don't deny the divinity of the Spirit. People will deny the divinity of the Son. They won't deny the divinity of the Spirit, but that what they will do is they'll deny that the Spirit is a distinct person from the Father and the Son, or that the Spirit is a person at all. Now, what we're going to show you in John 14 through 16, and this will probably be the last of what we do, is to show that the Spirit is distinct from the Father and the Son. He is a person in his own right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and so you know, as we saw, you know, the father, you know, he has the the role of he he has absolutely instituted everything. You know, all 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 of the Trinity's roles are perfectly wor- working together. But you know, the father has kind of instituted everything. You know, he's the one who sent the son. Um, the son came. You know, uh, you know, to bring about judgment. Uh, to have authority uh, and ultimately to bring about salvation, and then the work of the Holy Spirit is to seal uh, to seal that salvation. Um, and I know there's uh, differences of opinions about whether or not you can lose your salvation, but we are absolutely not getting into that uh, in this episode. But that, that's essentially what the what the Spirit comes to do is He is a helper um, to seal salvation for all those who have accepted and believed in Him. And so, yeah, John 14. Uh, starting in, in, in verse 15, he says, um, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, for even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot s- receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. And so right right there we see, you know, Jesus was, was the first helper to come. 
But, you know, if Jesus would remain here on earth, he would be, you know, limited to a physical location. You know, he maybe he would be at some sort of synagogue in Israel, and it's like if he if he was still on earth, people would be lined up for years and years and years. Jesus literally wouldn't be able to do anything else exactly. because he is literally the most popular historical figure. Whether or not you believe he is the son of God or not, Jesus is the most popular uh, figure within the history of the world of all time. Yeah, um, and, and one thing to note is like, Jesus in sending the Comforter, the the Spirit, he's not like separating himself from us. He's actually uniting us to himself on a deeper level than we ever were. Because if you keep reading in John 14, what he's saying is he's saying that he's going to be in us and the Father's going to be in us. And he says the Spirit's going to be in us. So the Spirit dwelling in us, and actually there in one of the verses where it talks about the Spirit dwelling in us, it's to dwell together, like the, the literal meaning of the word is to dwell together like as a married couple dwells together, which is I think is a very like poetic and fitting way to, t- to talk about that. But um, in giving us the, the Holy Spirit, Christ is uniting us to himself on a deeper level than he was on earth because he dwells in us through the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, again, like, like Daniel said, I think he was mentioning uh, – John fourteen twenty five and 26, which I'm also going to read. Um, uh, verse 25, you know, he says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, who will teach you all things and bring you, bring to you, bring to your rem- remembrance all that I have said to you. Um, One thing I, I want to point out here, um, sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. Is, so the Spirit here is sent in the name of the Son. Now, people who try to say that, like, the Spirit isn't a distinct person, that, like, say the Spirit is the Father or the Spirit is the Son, well, the Father is never sent in the name of the Son, and the Son is not going to be sent in His own name. Um, You wouldn't say that I'm going to send me in my own name. It's just a nonsensical thing. Um, So the Spirit here is a distinct individual who is sent in the name of the Son, sort of to, to do what the son wills for him to do, you know, in a way. And yeah, and it's, it's essentially the same thing with the, you know, the son uh, sending the spirit, you know, he says, I'm going to send the spirit, he, he's going to help you, you know, because Jesus, uh, you know, we know that he had 12 apostles um, that, he, that he taught, and then he had the inner circle of the three, which was um, Peter, Peter, James, and John, right? That was, uh, that was his inner three. And so he, he spent time with them, teaching them, helping them to learn and grow. You know, o- over the three years of his ministry, taught them how to do evangelism, how to talk to people, how to be loving and caring, and how to be Christ-like, like Paul says, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what he was teaching the disciples to do. But the thing is, Jesus, you know, cannot, you know, in, in, in his human flesh, cannot go and teach every single billions of people so that's that's why that's why he is given the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a distinct person. He is God, and being God, he can dwell in as many people as as he wants. And so that's that's exactly why why the Holy Spirit was sent to to do to to essentially be Jesus, but but inside of us, you know, we are his temple. And so I'm going to read uh, John fifteen twenty six and twenty seven real quick. Um, you know, Jesus says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. And that, this is saying that the Spirit 
comes from the Father, he proceeds forth from him, and that the Spirit bears witness of Christ. This is another important thing, because this is also mentioned in, in Acts chapter 3, is that the Holy Spirit bears witness of Christ, of the resurrection. Um, yeah. And then I'll go ahead and start uh, reading in chapter 16 about the Spirit, because this is where it really gets into the Spirit is distinct and a person in his own right. So let's start in uh, chapter 16, verse 5. Christ says, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So here we really see it hammered home, the individuality of the Spirit. Because he, he comes to glorify Christ. And he doesn't come in his own authority to speak on his own authority. But he comes in the name of Christ, sent by Christ and the Father, in order to glorify Christ and to convict the world concerning Christ. So... All these things are things that only a person can do. And he comes to do that in us and to dwell in us. And because he dwells in us, the Father and the Son dwell in us as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, that's, I, I was going to read that uh, uh, if Daniel wasn't going to. But yeah, I think that's, you know, that, that little passage right there is called the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, he is, he's come to do that, um, you know, to help us, to guide that. You know, you know as, as we've been talking about, he is... Um, a distinct person. And I think you know, just one, one little thing to hit on, and uh, and then we're gonna gonna touch on one last little thing is we're just gonna quickly talk about why it is important to believe the Trinity to be a Christian. Um, but you know, talking about that is we see you know the Father sent the Son, and the Son, you know, sent the uh, the Spirit, and then back in John five, you know, Jesus says, "I don't do these things on my authority, but of the Father." And then you know, Jesus is saying that the the Holy Spirit isn't doing things on. Um, his authority, but on the sons. Now, this, you know, we, we want to be very clear, and we talked about this at the beginning of the episode, that that does not mean that the that the son is lesser than the father and that the spirit oh, yeah, is lesser, lesser than... Um, if, if anything, the, what you should take away from the verses we've read, like honor the father or yeah. honor the son as you honor the father, yeah, exactly. things like that, that you should honor the the son as equal with the father. And, and the spirit is the God of Israel, so we should honor him just as well even though it, in his role as the Holy Spirit, he is not coming in order to glorify himself, but to point us to Christ. Exactly, it's, and that's, that, that's the distinction I wanted to make, is that it's they, each, each person of the Trinity plays a distinct role, but they all, they're all worthy of worship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit deserve to be worshipped, to be glorified, to be honored, um, because they are, they are the one same true god from the very beginning they had, they were all there in the beginning to to create um you know they are they are all lord they are all worthy um and so yeah that's uh 
yeah, I, I think that can that can kind of kind of wrap up the whole. Um, even even though we've been talking for over an hour, it's like man, there's there's like so much more that I, I would like to just talk about. But um, so this last little point is just gonna be, so you know why why is believing the Trinity uh, a must for being a Christian? I think you know I I think it, it's pretty easily summed up, you know when we say that if we that, that we must believe in God if we we want to accept in Jesus. Um, you know we must believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because they are they are all God. And so if we if we reject any person of the Trinity, um, you know, then we're then we're denying God and we're saying he's that he's not. You know, if we if we deny the Father, then, you know, then how does the Son, how is the Son sent, how is the Holy Spirit sent? Uh, and I don't think anyone really denies the Father. Yeah, uh, I don't know of any groups that yeah, do. Yeah. Um, but if you deny the Son, you deny it's, the Father. Yeah, exactly. And so um, you know, we, we know that the only way that we can have eternal life is, is through the Son. So if we, if we deny the Son, um, then, you know, then we're denying Christianity as a whole. And that, that's kind of like what Brian and I, you know, talked about. is like the, the, the essential and most fundamental thing for accepting Jesus is like believing and understanding that we're sinners. That, that's the whole, that's the whole, the whole point of the Bible. That's what Brian and I talked about um, in the last episode. And so if we reject Jesus, then we reject the fact that we are, I mean, essentially, we reject the fact that we are sinners. I know not everybody rejects that, um, so that's not entirely a a true statement. But you know, we are we are essentially you know saying we are, we're denying Jesus and, and and calling him a liar and saying that that he is not God. Um, and then um, you know, if we if we deny the Spirit, then we're saying that we have no helper. And the only way that we can, you know. For those of us that have accepted Jesus to go on to live the Christian life, we need help. We cannot do it by ourselves. And so Jesus, Jesus said, I'm sending you a helper, a counselor. And what he is helping us to do is to faithfully live out the Christian life, you know, to come to God, to repent, to confess, to be in the word, to be in prayer, to have community, to go out, to, to be sent one to the world, to go and share the gospel um, so that all people can be saved um, and so that we can come and honor and worship and glorify the one true God, and so they they, they all they all work perfectly uh, in unity, and so you you can't have one without the other. So if you reject one, you're rejecting Christianity, and and, uh, and you're rejecting God. So that that is exact important. That's exactly why it is important um, that we believe and accept um, each of the three persons of God. Um, and so, and is there anything else you want to add to that before we wrap yeah, up? Yeah, one thing I, I want to add just about like the the importance of the Trinity. Um, so. Jesus kind of stresses the importance of the Trinity as well in his closing benediction to the apostles before he goes back to heaven. And now, most people who call themselves a Christian, you've been baptized. And so Christ, he, he says to be like, well, before I get into this, what we are baptized into, the faith that we are baptized into, that is essentially the faith that we believe in. Who Who is our God? That's who we're baptized into, is into Christ, into who God is. So now, Christ himself has some, some choice words about this. This is in Matthew 28, and verse 18 through 20. And he said, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what he's saying here is he's saying, 
when you're baptized into Christianity and, and saying in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit isn't necessarily like a fulfillment of this, but what it means is to be baptized into the faith, into the, the name, essentially, the faith of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so that's why we say when, when you baptize a new believer, you're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or sometimes you say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But a more accurate translation of that would be into. So that's who you're baptized into. And that's the faith that we have. You know, we have faith in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are to go about conquering the gates of hell in their name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, e- exactly. Um, you know, Matthew uh, 28, 18 through 20. I mean, it's probably one of one of the most popular verses of uh, the Great Commission. And just kind of on that, uh, you know, baptism, I was, I was trying to flip through and uh, you know, find uh, find Jesus's uh, baptism real quick. I mean, we literally see all. Oh, that's all uh, Matthew three. three. Matthew three. I know. I always know it's one of the gospels, yeah. but I can never remember which one. Um, verse but you know, 16, the, the bap- baptism of Jesus starts in, in verse thirteen. You know, um, uh, and so yeah, in verse sixteen, it says, you know, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And coming to rest on him, and behold, a voice from the heaven said, "This is my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased." So right there, I mean, in that one verse again, we see the distinction of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And just as Daniel read, we are baptized um, into that faith. And so I think, yeah, I think that's that's a that's about all we have. Um, yeah, great place to end it. We we got we covered a lot, but we left a lot uncovered. Yeah, there's yeah. I mean, we we could sit here and and talk more and more. This is definitely going to be be the longest episode by far. You know, people have been studying and trying to understand this um, for a long time, but we just, we barely uh, scratched the surface. But hopefully that helps uh, everyone get a little bit better understanding of, like, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You know, what what Christians believe about God um, and how he works. You know, as we said, we can't fully understand him, but hopefully this helps to give a little bit better of a, of a breakdown in understanding. Um, but, yeah, so thank you, uh, Daniel, so much for joining oh, yeah, me today. yeah, a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, so that'll be, that'll be all for this episode. Thank you guys so much. Uh, for listening, the next episode that will go that will uh, be up after this is going to be the inerrancy uh, and the infallibility uh, of Scripture, um, and that'll be an, an awesome episode. I'm going to have my pastor from Redeemer Community, uh, Jeff Martin, come on and talk about that, so I'm definitely excited for that episode. So thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you all next time. <laughs>